WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. You're good at what you do, too. She is Natalie Jacobson. You are the dean of South Shore Broadcasters. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. Best-selling author, Dave Wedge. you got to say that. I'm sorry. Thank, huh? Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. Kevin's been a long time. Thanks for all you do. All you, you know, your local news icon. We appreciate it. Oh, Kathy's doing a great job at this. And I've decided she's jelly. I got to be peanut butter. There was a debate about it. There was a debate about it. There was that. a debate. You fine with jelly? I'm fine with jelly. Okay, good. Jelly spikes my sugars. Good evening and welcome to Monday Night Talk. As you know, I am not Kevin Tachi, and I'm going to be your host for the first hour with Massachusetts State Auditor Diana DeZaglio. Welcome back to Monday Night Talk. It's great to be back. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Jermaine Wiggins member of the 2001 Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. Welcome to Monday Night Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. Anytime. Not just economic development, but it's how to get the businesses involved. Senator, I want to thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you being a, a voice bringing so much community news to uh, to folks here on the South Shore. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. We welcome you to Monday Night Talk as uh, we are here uh, on the good Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., holiday uh hoping to uh inform educate have good conversation that's the idea of this radio program as we try to do every week from six fifteen to eight o'clock uh joining us in just a few moments after I give you a bit of a rundown uh he hails from the fighting fifth we have uh, state representative steve Xaros is going to be joining us. The 5th Barnstable District is what he, he represents. He'll join us in just half a second to give you a rundown of the folks that we're going to be having a conversation with this evening. Uh, after our conversation, we will speak with Keith Hayes, radio personality, hubuzu.com, the booth, as well as Newbie Rateau, award-winning filmmaker, and Quinn Kelly, as we will talk about... Uh, the news last week we had we were speaking with Quinn Kelly and chatting with him and Jerry Thornton about what was going to happen Black Monday that's what happens in the NFL after the last game of the season the following Monday is when if you uh, if you are going to be fired or if your job is uh, is going to be threatened as a head coach in the NFL then. We had a conversation at that point in time. We had not heard anything about Bill Belichick, uh, if, if he was going to be, you know, released. Of course, we find out later on last week that there was an amicable separation, amicable, as they went their separate ways. Of course, now we have reports out. You know, it always happens after the fact. Anybody who watched the <laughs> the football, the, the games over the weekend, especially the a Green Bay versus Dallas. It's nothing but fun information on social on social media as to everybody speculating that Bill might end up becoming the the next coach coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, let's say this afternoon there was actually a report that <clears throat> spotted Bill Belichick boarding a yacht of Arthur Blank. He is the um, he is the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. That's kind of the rumored spot that Bill uh, is being rumored to possibly, you know, coach, uh, be, continue coaching. So we'll see what happens with that. But we will talk about that. Uh, you know, what what happened? What Did everybody expect this? 
Gerard Mayo, named uh, the 15th head coach of the New England Patriots. We'll talk about that. Our number two, uh, we will uh, we'll retain Keith and uh, Newby. And we're going to add, uh, I'm hoping that we'll add uh, Moses Rodriguez, uh, Moises Rodriguez, uh, Brockton City Council president. And uh, we are going to talk about the civil rights movement. Where are things to this? You know, what, what do we know about it? Is it being lost with the newer generations as to what went into the civil rights movement? Um, and has it made any progress? We do this every year. So we will look forward to having that conversation. And then uh, before we wrap things up, uh, Newby, Newby Rattel, uh, will tell us about his newest uh, project, newest film. So he's going to focus on education. So that's all coming up, our number two. But let's turn our focus now to uh, State Representative Steve Xaros. Representative, welcome back to Monday Night Talk, sir. Good to be with you. Happy New Year, brother, from the Fighting Fifth. And go Detroit Lions. <laughs> I heard your intro. And uh, the Patriots are my second favorite team, but I've been a lifelong Detroit Lions fan, and we had an amazing night last night. So I had to get that in there for you. Yeah, I think there was. I think for for Jared Goff, there was a little extra octane in the tank, seeing that he was traded away uh, from uh, L.A. Uh, yeah. from the Rams to to Detroit to to languish. And if anything, that 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 team has boy, they're there. You know, hopefully, are they going to host another? Home game next week, so we'll see what happens. Yes, yes, sir. Um, we're excited, and uh, I see Super Bowl. But uh, I'm glad you had me on because I know there's a lot to talk about. There, but, there, there uh, is plenty to talk about. I, I guess I want to. I want to start out. I want to get your take on again, knowing that today is you know we're celebrating the good doctor uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Did you have a chance to attend any any ceremonies? Do any, anything as far as service goes? Absolutely. Yeah, yesterday I was in Hyannis at the First Baptist Church, and we did our annual ceremony there. It was beautiful. They had children uh, kind of recite some of the famous speeches. We sang. It was beautiful. Then today we had the annual breakfast in Falmouth with so many people. And um, one of the persons got me when, when she said, look, uh, we've come a long way, but there's a lot more to do. And um, he encouraged us all to, starting, let's say, tomorrow, do it. Let's not just talk about it. And she encouraged people to talk to somebody different than yourself. So for, like me, it struck me as, you know, I was born and raised in New Bedford. So I kind of grew up in, in a poor neighborhood. All my friends were, were black or poor whites like us, and uh, it it taught me a lesson at a young age, and here we are, you know, as a state rep, and I'll be in the state house, and that's part of what we do. We talk to people from all over the Commonwealth who who have different views or different um, experiences, and it struck me today that when when they talked about that, how kind of fortunate we are to to be in this out of service and helping others and. I think that's what Dr. King would want. Let's talk about uh, so your service to uh, the 5th Barnstable District. Uh, probably the f- first thing that we should probably st- start talking about or discussing is uh, your work. I know that there was recently a press conference in regards to Dakota's Law. For folks yeah. who don't know what that is, 
Give us a little bit of a background or synopsis on what Dakota's law is. Absolutely. You know, I was a police officer for 40 years, so law enforcement and and police canines and all animals mean a lot to me. We filed Nero's bill and we made Nero's law. So this is kind of another real-life story uh, that we're trying to make into a law. So Dakota was a real police dog in the Boston area doing its job, his job, and it was involved in the Boston Marathon bombing. So it went through a lot, a lot of shooting, explosions, and was actually there the last day when they captured the terrorists inside the boat. So this police dog named Dakota ended up with post-traumatic stress, just like a human would. And uh, they couldn't really cure it, so they were going to put this beautiful police dog down. And a man named James Lamont from Seekonk heard about it. Uh, He struggled with his own uh, stress, and he took this dog back to his house, and he made a movie. It's called Healing Dakota. Yep. Um, which is going all over the world right now, and he healed this police dog by spending time with it, running with it, walking with it, showing him love, and and healed this dog. So they made a movie called Healing Dakota, and when I heard the story and saw the movie, I filed a bill that basically says when a uh, police dog is injured in the line of duty, whether it's mentally or physically, and retires, because of it, or just retires, that we should take care of those dogs for the rest of their life because they've served the Commonwealth and we should take care of them. So this bill establishes a fund, which would be a public-private combination, and when when police dogs need help, we will help them. So what what is the protocol now? If if there is a, um, a, a police canine that retires... What ha- what becomes of that animal? That's a great question. It's all kind of mixed. So, you know, there's probably 300 police dogs serving or more across the Commonwealth. So in the cities like Springfield, I was just there, they have 15 dogs. Like, it's really special. Uh, some towns have none. Some have one. Yarmouth, like us, have three. But when they retire, whether it's from an injury or just age, Everybody kind of does it different. And some, most of the time they go to the handler, if the handler can take them. But all the bills, all the medical bills, once they're retired, is on the person, mm. on the handler. And they're willing to, to accept that. But what we found is sometimes it could be thousands and thousands of dollars. And we want to be able to take care of that dog. So... If a police dog retires, it's no longer, you know, working for that agency, but there's bills that are piling up. They could go to this fund, and we would help pay those bills. So where, where does the bill stand right at this particular moment? Is this something that you just recently filed, um, and is, is it getting support? It's getting a lot of support. Yeah, all the bills get filed in January of the first two-year session. Correct. So, a year ago, we filed this bill. It's one of 7,000 bills that go through the system. But we just had the hearing in front of the Public Safety Committee. We had police uh, officers there with their dogs, and they kind of explained how it works. And 
It was very emotional, very powerful. We had Mrs. Gannon come, Sean Gannon's mother, who, of course, lost her son, Sean, shot to death in Yarmouth. And Nero, you know, our Yarmouth police dog, was shot also. And that's what led to Nero's law. And it was pretty amazing to see Mrs. Gannon, Denise, testify. And when she got done, uh, something happened that has never happened. They said in the state house history, when she got done testifying, the entire room and the committee gave her a standing ovation. Goodness. Yes, it was very powerful, Kevin. And uh, it's personal to me because, you know, we went through the loss of Sean Gannon. You know, we were there when Nero was shot and no one could legally help him. And that's why we fixed it. Thanks to, you know, everybody across the Commonwealth coming together and, and I kind of see that same thing. It's almost like a perfect follow-up where Nero's law takes care of them when they're injured um, and they're still on duty. And then Dakota's law will take care of these beautiful animals when they retire. So, well, I mean, was the, how, how did the hearing go? I mean, did it seem as though it was, it was positive? And, and when do you hope you'll hear this, this little report out of committee? That's right. Yeah, it was very positive. But, you know, there's so many bills. And uh, what happens is the committee, which I happen to be on, so I sitting on the committee, then I went across and, like, testified to the committee, and then I went back down and sat down. Um, it'll be polled out by the chairs. We have two great chair people. Uh, Walter Timothy is the senator uh, for the Joint Committee on Public Safety. And Carlos Gonzalez, from the House is the chair from the House. He's from Springfield area. It's, it was. It seemed to be very positive. It'll be polled out, which means we'll vote on it as a committee to see if it would take uh, enough of us to get it to the next step, to give it a favorable report to get to the next step. Then it's a long process before it becomes a law. But I think we have the energy and we have this movie, Healing Dakota, which is you could see it someday on Netflix and we'll start showing it at movie theaters. It tells this incredible story. And when I saw it on Martha's Vineyard, it debuted there. I couldn't speak. No one spoke in the audience when it ended because it's so powerful and it motivates you to do something. And that's what we're doing. Again, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with uh, State Representative Steve Xaros. Uh, he is uh, our guest. Uh, shifting our focus from Dakota's Law, which I know you'll give us an update when there's something, yes. to talking about the school resource officer bill. Where, where does that stand at this particular moment? Same type of deal. We had a hearing on that in front of the Education Committee. That's a different committee. Yep. And kind of the same idea, um, because of my background in law enforcement, I had school resource officers come. And we had a panel, and it was pretty special to have um, my son, Alex, is a police officer in the Yarmouth. He's a school resource officer now. I was one, you know, 30 years ago mm -hmm. when I had air, and I, and I loved it. I loved working with kids and protecting them and building relationships. So on this day, we testified to the bill. I had a Yarmouth police officer, my son, another Yarmouth police officer, Sean, and then we had a born police officer who told quite a story. And she kind of said, look, when I was in school, uh, the school resource officer changed my life. 
because it's not just uh, someone like a guard at the door. Of course, we, we provide security and we'll, we'll keep the children and the educators safe as school resource officers, but you build relationships forever. So here was this uh, officer from Bourne testifying in front of the committee on how her school resource officer changed her life, and now she is a school resource officer, and she brought her comfort dog. A lot of the uh, SROs now have dogs, and they're not the typical police canine like, like Nero or Dakota. These are comfort dogs, and they block the halls with with the officer, and the kids pet him, and the teachers hang out with him, and it just helps build that relationship. So it was another powerful day of testimony that will be pulled out soon. We, we, we need to get those things pulled out, and hopefully it'll be a favorable one, and we can push it forward to the next level. Where would funding come for such, for, if this was able to, to pass, where would the funding come for this? Great question. It would be grants. You know, there are school resource officer grants that are available in the federal government. We could perhaps establish something again in Massachusetts or the local community. But um, this bill not only provides a school resource officer, but we need to make our schools more secure. They should all have doors that lock. They should have security measures in place, and people should practice and train, just like a fire drill that happens two or three times a year. We should do the same to make sure that we can prevent trouble, but if something does happen, that we react quickly and properly, and that's what this bill does. And again, another piece of legislation that we'll keep an eye on, and I know that you'll reach out to me when when there's any kind of movement on this, we have any kind of updates. Absolutely. Um, Here's a piece of legislation that I thought was that, that I think is very interesting and I'm looking to get your input on and that is Matt's Law. This is um, H House Bill 2422 and the idea is uh, in regards to state prisons and exercise weights and I believe that that there was some kind of an, an issue that happened with a corrections officer and some free weights. Is Is that correct? Yes, it is. Kevin, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, a lot of my bills kind of come from personal experiences. So Nero's Law, Dakota's Law, Matt's Law, that's another real-life story. This, this wonderful corrections officer, Matt Kidman, was on duty in a state prison, and um, a convicted murderer who had caused trouble in Virginia who got shipped to Massachusetts because he was threatening the guards there, or the corrections officers there, he got moved. They do that a lot. They trade prisoners. And this one, when they had an opportunity, he grabbed a steel bar from the gym, these you know free weights that are laying around, and he caved in Matt's skull. He beat him nearly to death in broad daylight inside the prison with this piece of steel. It's all on video. Of course, he's a convicted murderer. He was already in jail. He's been charged and will be prosecuted. Matt became my friend, his dad, his his brothers, his family. Matt lived, thank God. We were, it was very close. Uh, he's had numerous surgeries. He lives with a steel plate in his head. 
Wow. And, um, you know, I went to visit him at the hospital. We just, because when I heard about that, I, like many of us, we, we, we feel it with our hearts. And not only do you want to provide care, but I always look at, well, how do we fix this? And how we fix it, there should be no free weights, no loose steel bars and plates in a prison. It's not safe for the corrections officers who have to deal with so much every day and night. And it's not safe for the inmates if someone wants to attack one of them. So most prisons uh, don't have free weights. Massachusetts state prisons did. And when that happened, uh, we wrote a letter to the, the commissioner. And thank God she responded. She removed all the free weights or secured them. We're not saying there shouldn't be exercise equipment, but they shouldn't be laying around as potential weapons. And this law would make it a law that you can't do that and would be replaced with different type of exercise equipment. But is, is this the first time an incident like this has happened, or is this something that has, has happened from time to time? It happens from time to time, oh. and that's a great question. So, like, in the local prisons, right, county prisons, there are no free weights. Like, in Barnstable, there's exercise equipment, but it's not free weights. State prisons need to do the same thing, um, and we can't risk this again. You know, Matt is lucky to be alive. He's not back at work. He, he's lucky to walk and talk. And we've got to take action and make sure it doesn't happen again. Wow. That's, and, and so this would look to, did, what would this bill look to do? Would this, to eliminate free weights and anything that has anything to do with it? Yeah. Uh, luckily, because, you know, bills take a long time to Correct. become laws. So that's why we reached out and the commissioner took them all out or secured them right away. That's what you should do as a leader. This would just make it a, a law where you, have to make sure that there are no free weights laying around, uh, provide them with secure ways to exercise because we don't want another officer or fellow inmate attacked and beaten nearly to death or to death. Right. Well, we, we are speaking with the state representative, Steve Xaros. Uh, he is, he is our guest, uh, for a few more minutes and one more, um, piece of, a conversation here, and that is in regards to an op-ed piece that you wrote uh, for the Cape Cod Times in regards to our uh, migrant issue, not only here in the Commonwealth, but uh, it's happening here in our country. Yes, that's a really big issue. I'm glad you brought that up too, Kevin. Yeah, we need to secure our borders. That's a national thing. That's the president and the Congress. People coming through, uh, you know, by the millions um, is causing a lot of trouble. There, there's sex trafficking, there's drugs, you know, all these people that we know, you know, I have friends that are addicted to opioids or they've lost their son or daughter. It, it, a lot of it comes through the border. So we have to secure the border, number one. And then I feel we need to change the right to shelter law. So that was the piece that I wrote, uh, where Massachusetts is the only state out of 50 that has a law called right to shelter. We're not a sanctuary state. We're a right to shelter state. That bill became law in 1983. And I don't think back then they thought that 40 years later we would be spending 50 to $60 million a month 
on thousands of people that have come to Massachusetts from other countries. And uh, I think we have it where we need to focus on the people that are already here waiting for housing, waiting for all the uh, things that people need. And I see it in my own district. I have people living in the woods. And then we have people that are here from other countries living in condos at Joint Base Cape Cod. So um, that has recently ended. But that's why I filed the bill uh, with others to look at the right to shelter law. What's the intention of it? Let's have hearings on it. And let's see if we can amend it to be more modern. Because right now, and I think you and others know, like, it's just so expensive what's happening, and there's no end in sight. And the governor now, like we thought we'd have to do when this first started, decided to cut people's budgets. And now, you know, the local firefighters, the police, the schools, the nonprofits, they're getting their budgets cut. And part of it is because of this. Yeah, 9C cuts uh, announced uh, just last week. Yeah. And we saw that coming, you know, when this first came up in July-ish, uh, we knew that, you know, there was not funding put aside for this. I know it because I'm on the Ways and Means Committee, and uh, that's why we're trying to push this right to shelter law, to have a hearing to, to make sure we're following the intent of it, because we have to provide housing and medical care for the people that have been waiting, that are homeless, and now to add thousands more, it's it's unsustainable. And uh, one way to look at that is through the law that's creating it. Is there anything you want to uh, you want to say in closing as we wrap up our segment, Representative? Oh, I just thank you. Like I love talking about it. Anyone that's in uh, service at the state house, we get to do a lot of things. There's so many people in need. And um, me, I feel it's a blessing to be able to do this work. And anybody in the Fighting Fifth, which is uh, parts of Barnstable, Olive Sandwich, and parts of Bourne, that's 45,000 people. If you need something, please reach out. If you live in another district, reach out to your rep, your senator. That's why we're here. We're here to help people, and we're here to prevent trouble and make the Commonwealth really what it should be, a beautiful place to live work and raise a family well we want to thank you for joining us and we'll definitely uh, look to have you back on in a few weeks for for any updates that you may have yes we'll have uh, some news on these bills probably in the next two or three weeks there he so is thank you very much Kevin. You, state you, rep- take care. you got it there he is state rep steve xaros uh, joining us uh, as the state house report we're going to step aside when we come back more monday night talk don't go anywhere is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. By the middle of the week, so much news has come your way, you need your own team to sort it out. Lucky for you, there's Jared Valenzola and the JV team to talk about the things you've heard and catch you up on some things you might not know. I'm Jared Valenzola. Join me and my guests as we have fun with current events and try to put things into perspective each week. Sponsored by Corey Welch of Boom Realty. Catch the JV team every Wednesday night at 6.15 here on 95.9 WATD. 
I'm Erin Woodbury at Ethan Allen Quincy. We've joined forces with local charity, Cancer Camp, to raise funds for a great cause. You'll be serenaded by the talented Rob Bellamy, indulge in light fare and refreshments, and of course, there will be raffles galore. And all proceeds go straight to Cancer Camp. Come down to 840 Willard Street, Quincy on January 18th from 5 to 8 p.m. to have a blast, get inspired, and lend your support to an amazing cause. We hope to see you there. Cheers. Monday Night Talk on Twitter. Start at 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And don't forget to add hashtag Monday Night Talk to your tweets. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. We return for more Monday Night Talk. Kind of interesting because the conversation we're going to have is kind of more, it's more of a dessert type of a conversation that we would discuss later on in the show. But knowing that there was a conversation on last week's show, and we were kind of commiserating about the fact of, well, we were, we were waiting for, you know, the uh, the hammer to fall. We were waiting for whether or not we would have uh, a, uh, a a dismissal of Bill Belichick, or was there going to be some kind of a, a remaking of the front office? And, well, we, as we all know, it happened. The divorce. The papers are being filed as we speak. Uh, joining me to talk about this, we have uh, Keith Hayes, who is a radio personality, com, The Booth, and many other programs that he is uh, uh, responsible for producing. Welcome to Monday Night Talk, Keith. How's it going, Kevin? It's going pretty good. I'm not used to having someone hold a cell phone up to my face. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, and of course, Newbertson Rattel. He is here. He newbies like God. Only my mother calls me Newbertson. Yes, you're the only one. Only one who calls me that. Only other person. Newbie, uh, an Emmy award-winning documentarian filmmaker. Uh, he's going to be here for the. He and Keith are going to be here for the ent- entire rest of the show. Of course, we are going to start out this conversation talking first and foremost uh, about about the Patriots. Were either of you surprised by this news? Either of you? We'll start with Keith. I was surprised at how fast it came out and how fast they announced Gerard Mayo as the plate as the replacement. I was really, really surprised at that. Um, what really surprised me was how down I felt. That's what caught me off guard was was how emotionally draining that it was for me when it finally happened. Um, it, it, it messed me up. I'm not gonna lie. It messed me up for the entire day. Do you have a man tear? Do you like like watching the movie, Rudy? I, I'm not gonna lie. It, 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 there was a man tear, and you know the the fact that <clears throat> you know we we saw Pete Carroll in the same week. You know that we we all covered the Patriots for a long time yeah. at, at at XBR, so we covered the Patriots from from Parcells, Pete Carroll to Belichick. So we were vested in. That's a lot of years. Yeah, it's a lot of years of football that we were vested in. What? Not, how old are your kids, Keith? Um, twenty four and. G twenty six. Yes, almost nearly entire the entire uh, Terrell. Ty was born in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, Tyreek yeah. Hayes was named after wow. Ty Law. Uh, That's where that name came from, and Terrell was named after um, Terrell Owens. I mean Terrell Davis, actually. Oh, okay. What about you? How did you feel, uh, newbie? You know, similar to Keith, it was. I wasn't surprised that, that was going to happen. It was, you know, you knew it was going to happen, but what's it happen? You're like, wow. It's over. I mean, he was really the last of the piece of the legacy in terms of 
Brady, you know, Brady left. But you still had, all right, we still have Belichick and maybe there's some magic to recreate something different. Now it's over. I mean, 24 years, I mean, put it in perspective, I mean, I'm 35 years old right now. I've been, you know, Belichick's been in my life since I've been in elementary school. I mean, you know, since, since <clears throat> you know, pretty much since, yeah, 11 years old. So this is a big deal in terms of, okay, what's next? And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm curious to see, you know, I don't think it's, I, I it's never going to happen again. A coach no, coaching that long won't. and that much success, the salary cap era, that's the sad part. It was, it was like, you know, it's like, I don't want to compare it to this, but here we go. It's almost like you know someone's going to die and you think you're okay with it. And then when they die, like, wow, huh, I wasn't ready for that still. And again, I'm not comparing it, but that's kind of, you know, how, how the, in essence, the feeling kind of was for fans sports-wise. One of the things that really hit me hard about this, and, and, and for me it was, it wasn't just the fact that Belichick was gone, but I feel like the league itself, the culture is changing. It's evolving. And I feel like it's headed in a bad way. The biggest complaint on sports radio around here in New England was about the fact that he's too disciplined. He's too this. And I'm like, well, you know what the problem is? Is The problem is is that a lot of your pros that are now coming into the NFL are the same type of pro of people who grew up during that whole everybody gets a participation trophy. Trophy. One of the things I hated hearing about Belichick lately was is the fact that we had that whole dropped pass. And everybody was mad because he sat somebody for a whole game. And I'm like, but that's the Patriot way businesses, Fortune 500 businesses had built their whole mantra for years around Bill Belichick. Do your do job. Do your job. Do your job. And now guys like Saban, guys like Belichick, Saban just come out and he said one of the reasons why he's is done is because, you know, it's this culture. Um, Pete Carroll just said the football people up top, they don't know football. The league is changing. There was a time where players didn't TikTok, players didn't go on Snapchat, players didn't go on Facebook. That was all here. Belichick didn't even allow it. Now that brings teams money. Players on TikTok, all that stuff just adds to the revenue. You look at this whole Travis Kelsey thing, the culture's changing. And that's the sad thing about the sport. I I agree with Keith, but here's the difference between what Nick Saban and, and, and Pete Carroll is that Yes, you know, they're old school in terms of discipline. But they were innovative in terms of knowing how the game was going to change. And Belichick, was, was, I thought, was really good at that the last four or five years. He didn't change with the game. And, you know, Pete Carroll changed with the game and made it more, listen, this is an offensive game. We got to focus more on that. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick was defense, defense, defense. The game's become more but offensive. But Pete Carroll has always been a player's coach. That's the reason why we dumped him years right. ago. Remember that? Remember we, Jack. We, yeah. we dumped we dumped him because he was the player's coach. Today, a guy like Mike but, McDaniels is successful but, because he's a player's but coach. But he was let go because not because he was uh, all about discipline. He yeah. was let go because he wasn't picking the right players and he wasn't adjusting to the new offensive game. Well, I mean, Pete Carroll, but Pete Carroll was also kind of the, the rebound coach. Let's be honest here. We had you had Bill Parcells, <laughs> could, right? Yeah, that's right, right. And then it's kind of like you know that the, the you know it's like like dating, you know, right? Is just the person that you've been with for a long time, and then the person <clears throat> who follows afterwards. You know, the, you're, you're still kind of coming. You're still recovering from that long term relationship. It's kind of a rebound coach. Same thing. Then you got Bill Belichick, and here's this guy who comes in. And let's be honest here. His first his first year didn't really wow people, 
right? Mm-hmm. Five and eleven. And and if it wasn't for Drew Bledsoe, right, not getting get not getting injured during the Jets game, we wouldn't have known about Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest here. Uh, you know, Drew's okay, but when Drew was you know traded away, did he didn't do anything that would have said, "Wow, we should have never let you know first round draft pick in '93." He was not somebody who who went. He went. He went to the Bills. He went to Dallas. What did he do? Nothing. I think- and that's because he was a victim of again the league evolving. Right. Drew Bledsoe was a was a was a stand up pocket passer, but the league the league changed to where Cordell Stewart and these guys were coming in, and then they had to change linebackers, slim them down to two fifty, so they yeah. could get to the outside. When they realized that these guys could get to the outside, they could also blitz these guys to the inside and get at that quarterback from the right. blind side. Right. And guys like Drew Bledsoe, and you know they they that was a dying breed. That was the whole change of the league until they could. Figure that one out, you know. I'll give Belichick this credit. I do think he eventually would have replaced Drew Bledsoe for Tom Brady. I mean, to, to say that, you know, for that Brian Cox hit, it, it would never happen. Was it Brian Cox or Mo Lewis? No, it was Mo, Mo Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, Mo Lewis. I'm still sending him Christmas cards yeah. this day. I mean, I think eventually would have happened. May may not be that season or maybe yeah. later on. I do think it eventually <clears throat> would have happened, though. I mean, yeah. everyone has seen that. Well, they saw, they saw something special. I mean, so special that I would say at one point in time he was the fourth quarterback, quarterback on the roster. They held on to him. They didn't want to let him go. Well, you have to remember, he was a, he was a key part of them beating Pittsburgh in the AMC Championship game. Right. Tom Brady gets hurt, he goes down, and they bring Drew Bledsoe, and he goes right down the field, sure. and they score and take the lead in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but there was no choice, though. I mean, Tom Brady physically couldn't play. Right. I, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. But. Right. I mean, it was a key part, but it was, it was, it was, by, it so, was by default. So, so, do you, so you guys think that this was an amicable split? Because we're we're hearing we're hearing things now that maybe oh can that, we that they would they would think can we tell them to stop? Can we tell sports radio just <laughs> yeah. to? It's like everybody all of a sudden wants to talk about all the bad about Belichick right now, and it's it. it but, I don't yeah, want to swear but, on here, but, but it's aggravating. But me. you have different sides who are who are feeding oh. this information because they want to get their word. They want to they want to they don't want to look like the bad person in this relationship. They 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 don't. And the problem is that the the crafts are seeping information out. I mean, the rift came between the Kraft family and Bill Belichick when there was a push to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Bill Belichick relented, traded him away, gave him away, right? Um, but then I believe there was a point in time where Bill's like on, Tom can't play anymore. And I think that's what we're hearing now that, you know, Bob Kraft was upset because here goes Tom and he was he wasn't done when he left. He played three more years and led the Bucks to, you know, not only a Super Bowl, but, you know, to the playoffs consecutive years. You know, my thing is that with Bob Kraft, <clears throat> he's getting kind of a big pass here. And I don't know why. First of all, they had a chance to sign Lamar Jackson last year. They did. They could have drafted him. They could have drafted him and they traded down. You know, they could have drafted him. And then, you know, oh, you know, he let Air Tom Parent. Brady go. Who the hell was the boss here? Bob Kraft or Bill Belichick? Right, right. You know, you could have said, no, <clears throat> we're not trading Tom Brady. And then, you know, Mac Jones, from, and people were saying this during the draft, they said that he had a high floor, low ceiling. Everyone said that. Yeah. High floor, low ceiling. So, you know, Bill Belichick, yes, de- mm. deserves some 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 criticism. A lot of criticism, but yeah, but words coming out now that that he, he actually he was willing to take Davis Mills, who's with with the Texans, 
and did what it was that he was members on his staff. He was like on, you know, we wanted to do this collaborative thing. They decided, hey, instead of Bill saying, you know, or Nike being the one who was, you know, making all the draft picks with the paw, the idea was to, you know, be more collaborative with the staff. So they go, okay, everybody in the staff is pushing to draft Mac Jones. We'll draft him. I mean, hindsight, they should have just kept Cam Newton. God's not the truth. They should have kept Cam Newton over, over Mac Jones. I mean, in hindsight, you, you, you weren't getting much. Listen, that first year for them to go 7-9 with, with, with that COVID year, with pretty much a team that wasn't as talented, they should have just kept them for the following year. It would save money not, and, and not have Matt Jones. So who hires Bill Belichick? Dallas Cowboys. Come on. Dallas easy. now. I, I feel like it's Dallas. After yesterday, I think it's Dallas. And the reason why is because Jerry Jones hates Robert Kraft, and he would love nothing more to get Belichick down there and allow Belichick to get the wins he needs to be the best all-time coach and rub that into Bob Kraft's face. Jerry Jones would want nothing more than that. When I sat there and I watched that game yesterday, as it wound well, down... Well, you and I were messaging back yeah, and forth. <laughs> as, as it wound down and I said, man, I said, I really didn't know where Belichick was going, but now I kind of know. But but will Bill Belichick want to be with uh, a, a more so meddlesome <clears throat> owner? I mean, Jerry Jones is a that's, very that's meddlesome... The, that's, the, that's the $100 million dollar. And you don't think Bill Parcells isn't calling uh, Belichick right now going, hey, no, you want no part of that? <laughs> For two years, though, he'll take it. Two years. He's not like he's going to be the Bill Belichick's 73 years old, right? Yeah. I mean, no, I was 71 s- going on 72. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds as if he's, I don't see him coaching for so another It's five about those wins. Years. He yeah. says it don't matter to him. He's it good. matters to him. Well, now it that does he, matter. Well, now that he has the record for losses, I think, yeah, it might matter now. <laughs> it might actually matter now. So, what about Gerard Mayo? Is everybody okay with this, or, or would you have preferred that they went after a so, Mike Rabel, or, or at so least. I, I feel like. I, I feel like. I'm on the fence with the Gerard Mayo hiring, but there's not many people out there that they could have brought in that knows the system and does. So I feel like what's going to happen now is Gerard Mayo's head coach. I feel like Josh McDaniels will be back as offensive coordinator. I feel like the teapot Bill O'Brien is out, and I think Steve Belichick stays here. As as your defensive what, guy, what about Brian? I mean, Brian's done a great job. With I, the, with I think the, both with, Belichick with kids will stay here. Defensive um, backs. I, I feel like um, Cam Accord, the special teams coach, I think he's on the fence again. Well, I, I think I think he should have been gone well, last a, year. There's already a report that <clears throat> the Patriots are reaching out to Atlanta to ask if they can talk with their uh, special teams coach and hire him. It'd be nice because I'm, I'm not a fan of Cam Accord. I haven't been a fan of him well, it's for Cam, two it's, years. It's, it's Joe Judge, Cam Accord. I think there's like three of them who... Uh, the brain trust for the Cam is teams. the main the main guy though. That's yeah. that's the guy. And and and, and I tell you, this defense kept this team in a lot of games right. this year. If this defense had had Judon and Christian Gonzalez, who by week four yeah. he was leading the league in picks, that kid was going to be a stud. This defense with those two guys healthy, it's a completely threatening defense. Um, and this team was in a lot of games this year because of the defense. Are, are, are we, Nubia, are we nervous at all that they haven't decided to hire or start talking to individuals to be a general manager, even though <clears throat> they haven't had a... Rumor was Scott Pioli was in the house yes, sir. and had called, so... Would you want Pioli back? I would. I think I'd take, I think I would take, I think so, I would take Pioli back. Okay. Definitely. I, listen, I think... I think it's worrisome. Yes, it's worrisome. They, I mean, I, I, the the Patriots seem to, and Bob Kraft specifically, 
seems to have a real tough time kind of turning the page. I think he's a, you know, one or two years slow on a lot of things and, and kind of ripping off the Band-Aid here. So, um, but in terms of Gerard Miller, l- listen, I I think it's a safe pick. You know, I, I personally might have, you know, try to give myself an opportunity to look at some other coaches don't just handcuff yourself it looks mm-hmm. like listen kudos to draw mail for that contract though if that was in, in writing that he was successful to Bill Belichick and that's why he didn't take the head coaching job in uh, in Carolina mm-hmm. I mean kudos to him <clears throat> I think it was important for the Crafts you know that the next quarterback was uh, an African American I think that was important to the Crafts particularly what all the bad press they got with, with, um, with Flores I think it was important that, you know... Well, Brian Flores, right? Yeah, Brian Flores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, there's not too many African-American quarterbacks, I mean, uh, coaches, excuse me, in the league right now. I mean, you obviously have Mike Tomlin, maybe one or two others. Um, well, we'll one, see if the Raiders are going to name the interim as, as the head coach now. Yep, and they got one in, the one in Houston. I think it was important for the Crafts. I think that was important. I mean, that's <clears> so big on, on, on PR. Um, I think he's qualified. I think he's absolutely qualified. Um so we'll see. I'm just curious what type of staff he brings along with him. Steve right. Belichick, I know, you know, with this whole, you know, his dad was, you know, following his dad and what have you. Steve Belichick did a good job of the defense. Yes, he did. Yeah. And, and and I wouldn't mind him staying, actually. And, I really and wouldn't the, mind that. ESPN is reporting that. And, and there was actually, Gerard Mayo was actually quote saying, you know, that it goes way back with the two of them, Steve, Steve Belichick and mm-hmm. Both of them watching film, even when he was as a player, but watching film together, breaking it down, and when they were presenting what the plan was for, for each game, that like, he, he's right there in the trenches Has with Steve them. ever played in the NFL or any type of no, he's a lacrosse player, I think. Has he played any type of college football? Lacrosse. Lacrosse, I thought. Has yeah. he played college football, though? But, but look at his look at, look at the, the lineage. I mean, look at his, his upbringing. His, his, his grandfather was somebody who coached, and I don't know if No, I'm saying, has he ever Steve played any Belichick, type of football, though? I'm just curious. I don't know. The grandfather don't played any so. football, but... I just I just find that odd. He's never played any type of. Yeah. I'm sure he's played sometimes for at some level. I just, but I know that Steve had been with his dad on the field for you know from just right. a kid. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, who knows what he learned and what he paid attention to coming up. Right. Um, so last question before because we time is moving. It's quick. It's bleeding. <laughs> um, draft pick. What. Should they do your your individual opinions, newbie? What should Marvin they do? Harrison Jr. If they can get him, if he if he slides down to number three, he might be number two. And then I'm trying to get a veteran quarterback. I'm I'm looking at maybe a, you know, a, a Russell Wilson, you know, uh, the kid from Arizona, uh, who's in Arizona right now. Kyle Paul Murray. McCarthy. How about how about the, how about the kid from Michigan? I, I think we need a big time receiver, and I think we can get a veteran. I think you need. I think you need a tackle. I think we need a veteran quarterback and a big-time receiver. Okay. And maybe we draft someone in the second or third round, you know, and have that veteran quarterback kind of warm the seat for the, uh, for the new quarterback. Interesting stat. The, the O-line was horrendous. Mac Jones spent the most time on his back with less than four seconds to get rid of the ball. The offensive, offensive line was offensive. Uh, we need to we need to get the offensive lineup. I do agree with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, they, need a, they need a stud wide receiver who doesn't fingertip the ball. Um, we've had some guys here, Kendrick Bourne is up, but you know Kendrick Bourne is is probably another hit away mm. from you know we've got a couple guys with concussions. So Nubi Rateau, Keith Hayes are going to stay for the conversation after seven o'clock. After seven o'clock, we'll be back in just a few moments. You're tuned in to Money Night Talk.
the South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. 95.9 WATD-FM Marshfield and 95.9 WATD.com. I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Auto Glass in Pembroke. People ask me, is there anything they can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? Is there anything I can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? See? There is. Those big gravel trucks, when they're being loaded... Rocks get stuck in the framework of the bed. Truck hits a bump, rock hits your windshield. It pays to stay way back. It pays to stay way back. However, if your windshield is broken, just call 1-888-64-TINIES. And thank you. Hi, I'm Holly Flanagan. Join me every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by The Great Blizz. Each week, we discuss topics important to our inclusive community and highlight the talents and achievements of our community members. Make sure to tune in Wednesday night at 8 p.m. to Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by The Great Blizz. Breaking the Ice, every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., right here on 95.9 WATD. Welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Don't just listen, say something. Call 781-837-4900. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome back to the second hour of Monday Night Talk. As we talk this hour about the civil rights movement. I do it every year on this radio program. We have different guests. And we talk about the importance of the civil rights movement and some of the things that it it has given us as as Americans, um, and the fight, the struggle, how real it is. Uh, again, Nubi Rato is here, um, award winning filmmaker. He's here. He's say the past couple of years, you've been kind of my my steady, my rock when we talk about issues and talk. We discuss this topic. Keith Hayes. Uh, who is uh, a radio host, talks about many different things on his show, uh, The Booth, Tuesdays. Actually, he's, I don't think he's just Tuesdays anymore, because every time I turn around, he's, he's, li- <laughs> he's live on Facebook, and he's, he's, talking up, he's talking up some issue or something that is, that is important to the community and that's important to our moving forward. Now, I believe we also have on the phone, do we have someone on the phone line, Larry? Moses Rodriguez joining us. He is a Brockton City Council, Brockton City Councilor, Council President, um, also uh, the 49th Mayor of the City of Champions, Moses Rodriguez. Moses, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, sound a little awful because I have this nasty cold. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I just had a, a COVID test done. At least it's not COVID. So we'll 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 see what happens with the rest of the uh, the days as we go forward. So, so the thought of this conversation is just to talk about the civil rights movement. Now, none of us. Now, myself, I was born during during the the, the struggle, so I have no recollection. Uh, I only know from what I have learned through uh, my schooling, through trying to educate myself to be up on it. Uh, I don't know where everybody else is as far as understanding what what Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did and some of those who were involved. Um, Moses, we'll we'll start with you and get get your take. I mean, what does, what, in your estimation, talk to me about the importance of of the civil rights movement 
as we as we are here today as Americans? Well, well I, I think one of the things that people don't quite realize is that no one has a choice of where you're born or what color you're born in and you know what privileges you're 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 entitled to or not i mean it's not like we actually have a choice because i think most people would choose to be uh, either born in a different type of uh, situation or a different place in the sense that you wouldn't go through the struggles that you know the normal people are struggling to and unfortunately uh, as we see on a on a regular basis individuals just get uh, discriminated against because of the skin of their tone, I mean, the, the tone of their skin, or a language that they speak, or a place that they were uh, fortunate or unfortunate to be born at, which is, um, you know, leads us to where we are today in the America of today, where everybody points the finger at everybody else. I mean, people forget that the civil rights movement actually made America what America is today because. Uh, with all due respect to people who thought or think that Americans were, were great back then and we are struggling to make America great again, according to some of the individuals whose uh, political aspiration is such, uh, America has always been a great country in the sense, but it hasn't been all that great in terms of uh, the folks that happen to have a different uh, skin tone or happen to have uh, a heavy accent, speaking an accent from one place or another, uh, especially those accents that come from brown and black countries. So that is the struggle that we currently have and continue to have, uh, realizing that we we need to, to continue the struggle, continue to make uh, the efforts that were made by the days of uh, the civil rights, uh, you know, activists that we had to give us the, the very basics of freedom in the sense so that we can continue to live and prosper in this country. So I turn my, my attention to you, Keith. Talk to me. What, what does what does the civil rights movement mean to you and, and what are some of the things that it affords us to do as Americans, again, depending on gender, our skin color, um, our country of origin, as we migrate here, as we have, our families have migrated here. So first, <clears throat> and I don't, I don't want to get choked up because when I talk about this, I keep it kind of to myself, but first and foremost, I got to say thank you to Mr. Moses Rodriguez, and I'm going to explain why I'm going to say this is, this is a this is a personal thank you on Martin Luther King's Day to Moses, and I'm going to get to this why. I grew up in Boston, Mission Hill, <clears throat> uh, born in 66, double promoted from the Farragut High School. Because I was double promoted um, around the time, I, I, I was I was very young and I attended school in Boston, um, I advanced through the school system quickly. Around the fifth grade was the time of segregation was starting to talk um, around the area of Boston. One of the problems with me and, and, and things that happened with me and, and involves civil rights, um, while everybody was being sent to South Boston and that's where the hotbed was for for the segregation of schools, um, I was actually one of those kids. I was one of the first kids bust out of Boston, except I wasn't sent to South Boston where blue-collar black kids were going to school with blue-collar white kids. My grades were so good that I actually was bused to Brighton 
to the Alexander Hamilton School. I was one of the first black kids bust out to that school. Um, we had a military escort. Um, they attacked our bus. It was me and eight other black kids. Um, the thing about going to Brighton was was that not only was I black, but I was also below the median. I wasn't making the money. Even though my dad was blue collar and he had a good job, we still were below those people who lived in Brighton. So that was a struggle. Um, I got on the MBTA shortly after getting out of high, graduating out of high school. I was an affirmative action hire, one of the first, you know, people hired under that affirmative action as a, as a fueler. Um, you know, we had our struggles coming on and coming up through the T. Um, my dad was on the T at the same time. My dad was one of the first black uh, managers. Um, and when Moses talks about that there's still work to be done out there, and I have to, this is why I gave him a personal thank you, why there has to be work still done, you would think in this day and age that we wouldn't have civil rights issues, but we do. We do, because a lot of people don't know this as we sit right here and why I gave Moses a personal thank you is because back in 2010, when I was when I left the MBTA, I applied for a job for the city of Brockton for the DPW. And at that time, when I applied for that job on my resume, someone had put the B, the letter B, on my on my on my application and my resume. And I never I never got a call for the job. Twice I was passed over for a job. I got a call from a lawyer's office, and when the lawyer's office called, they said, "Hey, did you apply for these two jobs for the DPW in 2010 and 20 such?" Yes, I did. We'll be back in touch with you. Well, I was one of the top five in the city of Brockton who was involved in the lawsuit where they put our race on the applications and filed these so we wouldn't get the jobs. And Moses was the one who came in when he became mayor, that acting mayor. He came in and said, no, we're settling this case. They were wrong. And I don't want to get into what happened. Moses knows what happened, and I can't t- I'm not going to talk about exactly how ignorant and what they did to us to the point where one of the most ignorant things they did was in this whole thing was is they looked over resumes and assumed if you had went to a Massasoit College or a Bunker Hill Community College, they assumed that you were black. And they circle filed your resume at City Hall. So we have white people who got money from this case because some of these ignorance for some of these color assume that that person was of color. So I got to thank Moses for that. So civil rights means a lot to me on this day because we're still fighting that fight. Newbie? Well, um, you know, I, you know, for, I kind of want to you know, echo the sentiments of you in terms of not necessarily um, just Moses, but really your generation, Moses' generation, because they really put on the fight. I'm the result of the fight. I'm the result. You know, yourself, Moses, uh, talk about, you know, Wayne McAllister, rest in peace. Um, you know, people like, you know, Fred Fontaine. Um, you know, I always call, you know, the OGs of Brockton, you know, who really put on, you know, obviously Moses and, and, and different people, um, Ozzy Jordan, you know, who really, you know, put on the fight. And I'm here as 35 years old. And I'm the result of that. I'm the result of, you know, where, you know, people don't bat an eye when, you know, when, when the mayor appoints you to be director of communication at the age of 24 years old. Mm-hmm. People don't bat an eye when you're appointed on, on, you know, on different boards. They don't bat an eye because you guys have put in the work as minorities. And it, and it really sucks that a lot of times, and in, in most, I'm, I'm sure you guys can agree with this, as a minority, 
you feel like you just don't represent yourself. You have the whole, yeah, you represent the whole race. Where, where I feel like, you know, white people don't have that. Where, you know, you can go in and apply for a job and this represents yourself. You're, you're Johnny. No, when Moses applies for a job or when Nubriato goes to a job, sometimes you feel like you're representing the <clears throat> okay, burning Haitian race and you have to watch out and watch your steps, watch what you have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, you're representing, you know, I'm, I'm representing a whole black race here. And I feel like that's a, that's a unnecessary pressure we have as minorities. I think you guys had a lot more than what I do. Like I said, well, I'm the result of your hard work, so thank you for that. But um, I think we made a lot of progress, but, you know, I, I think um, – you know, there's still work to be done, and I'll give you some numbers on why I think there's some work to be done uh, later on. So, so I want to ask as to maybe some of the stories, maybe some of your families, you know, had witnessed in the mid-50s and the 60s the height of the civil rights um, movement when you had the joint farmers, the Martin, Martin Luther King Jr., um, U.S. Representative John Lewis, Philip Ra- uh, Randolph, Roy Wilkins, Whitney Young, individuals who were in hip deep in this this movement. What are some of the stories that you may have heard from family members or, or individuals who were involved or at least witnessed what was going on at the height of the movement? Keith? Uh, my mom, <clears throat> she used to make me watch Keep Your Eye on the Prize, PBS, Channel 2. It was a special about Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, it came to Boston when my mother and dad were dating and were younger, and they made sure every time that he came, they they went to see him. Um, my dad was a big, big person involved with, with civil rights. Um, Mr. Mel King was someone that my dad introduced me to. Sure. For those who know Boston politics, Mel King yep. was... We lost him recently, right? <laughs> yes, we did. We did. And, and my dad made sure I knew these type of people coming up. Um, one of the things I remember when I, my first week in school in Brighton, you know, I heard the N word many, many times and I wanted to quit. I wanted to leave that school. I wanted to go back to school in Boston and in the projects. And my dad says, no, he's like, what are they calling you? The N word. Did they hurt you physically? No, it's just a word. Get your education. Don't let them take that away. That's the worst thing they can take from you is your education. And, and, and that was my dad being involved with King. That's where that peace comes in, that peace. Don't let them take away your education. Be stronger mentally. Um, I remember going to school in Brighton, and I couldn't eat in the lunchroom because of all the stuff that was being said to me. So I had a black teacher. He was the only black teacher in the Alexander Hamilton School. I ate lunch with him in his, in his classroom at lunchtime, me and him. We just sat there, and he would he would teach me stuff, and I would learn stuff during my lunch break with him because he was that affirmative action black black teacher hire in Brighton so it, w- it was it was a crazy time like I said if it wasn't for my parents and, and, and teaching me the teachings of Martin Luther King and being peaceful and turn the other eye I think I don't know where I would be Newby same with you any, any stories that you've heard from, from family members you know, or, or even from friends or, or... No, no, I'll tell you right from my father my father used to tell me how much he <laughs> He got pulled over when he was in Milton, mm. but he couldn't speak in really good English at the time. He had no idea. Again, he was coming, he came to this country in 1978. So his English, you know, it was, he just thought, okay, I'm just being pulled over. Fast forward, looking back, he's like, okay, in my, there's a very good chance I was pulled over because I was black. And it, it, it was, it, you know. It, the funny joke is, you just said Milton, right. I'm in here dying because right. when I was growing up and I first started driving a car and I used to drive a nice car. 
Milton, I used to tell people, I stay away from Milton. And sure enough, karma paid. Milton harassed a black doctor who was picking up his daughter at a birthday party, and it cost them because they were racial profiling like no tomorrow. I remember I got pulled over in Milton. I was working for the MBTA. I had a 95 Isuzu Rodeo. I bought it brand new, seven miles on it. I got pulled over in Milton. They thought I was a drug dealer. I said to them, I said, I need the chief officer. I need the section officer to come down here. The section officer now comes down. He looks over my stuff. He sees my TID, and he says, that explains it. Let him go. I'm like, explains what? Explains why I got a brand new truck, right? Right? I could have been an a-hole. I could have sued, but I didn't. And the looks like the irony is every day when I come home from work, I drive through Milton. <laughs> You know, and but but that's that's the fight that that you know yourself and my father went through. And my father had no idea he could I, mean, I could barely speak English. He's like why why am I being put over over here? He, he had no idea what was going mm-hmm. on. You know, but again, that's the sacrifice. You know, and I'm a result of it. Moses, I, I turn to you as you you are a bit older than than the three of us here, not by much, but I, I mean, talk to me about some of the leaders that we, that we have had through the years. Whether whether they're the Black Americans, Cape Verdeans, Haitian, um, a- anybody who has been a, a leader throughout the years, and and also who do we have today as said leaders who are still, you know, working for the betterment of civil rights? The interesting thing is that um, as the the fellows were talking about driving here, I remember being um, you know of driving age in the uh, late seventies. When I actually got my driver's license, my parents always told me, if you're going to Boston, do not go through, you know, the, uh, the inner city in the sense, get on the highway, go from, Bo- from Brockton to Boston, on the highway to Roxbury or Dorchester. But I went to see my relatives up there, or if I had to go down, down the Cape, where my other relatives lived, you know, you never, ever went down through the Bridgewaters in the sense, you know, you hit the highway and you stay on the highway because you knew uh, uh, point blank where you were not given a second chance or a choice uh, uh, when you're driving through those towns. I mean, you're you're taking your own life into your own hands, no matter how fast or how slow you're going. But they always always told us, you know, do not go through the Bridgewaters, do not go through Middleborough, do not go through any of those little side uh, side towns in the sense because you're taking your life at your uh, you're putting your life in their hands in the sense the way they treat you. But going to the the question that you ask in terms of leaders, I remember uh, you know being a, a youngster in this community and Mary Baker, for instance. You know, all, you know, you want to be militant. You want to you want to go out and um, you know because I came from uh, Angola in the early seventies, in a sense. You know, we're in the middle of a civil war. And you've got that in the back of your mind, in the sense where you know you feel like you have to struggle for everything. You know, everything is a battle. You know, and you try to, you know, bring that into here as well, where you know the struggles are, are real. I mean, people just look at you just because you look different, you sound different. You are less than them. I mean, I still, to this day, uh, use the analogy of looking at somebody that just speaks with an accent. You know, where in a lot of countries in Europe and other places, uh, the ability to speak multiple languages is, is revered. You know, it's given uh, uh, basically a, 
a, a level of importance in the sense that you're a little more uh, intelligent than most. But when you come into the United States, uh, people that speak a different language or speak uh, English with an accent, they're looked upon as being less than or a little dumber in a sense, you know. So I had these individuals, uh, Pedro Bosch, I remember. You talked about Wayne McAllister. Willie Hughes was huge as far uh, I'm concerned back in the days. That uh, always kind of, you know, coming from Trinidad, uh, always try to tell you to, you know, hold your, you know, hold your head high. You know, I remember one time we got into some issues with uh, with the units administration back in the days over uh, just our uh, filing for equality in the sense we wanted to have more people of color in these boards and commissions in the city and it ended up us getting sued by an individual that uh you know that one of the uh, one of the folks that actually signed the letter had an issue with and we got sued for you know for speaking to our mayor in the sense you know and it was myself uh, uh willie hughes uh, um Fernando Diaz from the Latino organization, Pedro Bosch, um, and, a, and a few other individuals that basically, um, you know, saw that, you know, we could do a little bit better in this city than we were doing. But for some odd reason, it's like, you know, God forgive us for asking just to be part of the process. You know, all we wanted, again, it was we weren't asking for welfare. We were not asking for, you know, to, for you to give me anything or name anything after me, but basically say, listen, give us an opportunity to serve in some of these boards because it's affecting us. Our people go in front of these boards and commissions to ask for, you know, permits, licenses, or whatever, and there's not a single person that looks or sounds like us on those boards, you know? So we had petitioned the mayor to do that, and we ended up in Superior Court because they took offense to the fact that how dare you ask to to, to be given uh, or to be put in a place that you, know, you could actually uh, have uh, your people represented at certain levels and stuff like that. And that's the struggle that we continue to have even of today because people feel that you're asking too much just by being, by asking to be a part of the process. You know, can I be, can I be in that commission? Can I be on this board? I mean, if, uh, if the vast Brockton nowadays is the only majority black city in New England, Think about that for a second. In 2023, actually 2020 with the census, we became the only majority black city. So when you put the African-Americans, the Cape Verdeans, the, the Haitians together, we are now a majority black city. But yet it seems that we're the only ones that know that. You know, the, the fact that, you know, we still have the struggles that we have to go through just to be able to, 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 bring, to bring the balance in place. I'm saying, look, I'm not saying fire every single white person that is holding a particular job, but as jobs become available in a city that, you know, has a school system that's almost 75, almost 80% of kids of color. Now, what's wrong with having, I'm not saying we should be 75 or 80% of the of the you know the administrators or whatever in the school system but we should be better than 10 percent you know we should not be at 10 percent you know because and that's the issue that we're having is that our the kids in our system are not seeing people that look or sound like them in those systems to basically feel that there's a tomorrow for me 
you know, and that's the struggle that we continue to have is that there's a lot of, uh, of, of the young us out there that are not seeing that, gee, what is in it for me tomorrow? And, and that's what continues to happen. And again, if folks are just tuning in, uh, the, the gentleman, <laughs> the voice you just heard a moment ago is uh, uh, Brockton, the city council president. Moses Rodriguez, who actually uh, served uh, as mayor of Brockton. Interesting you, you say that, Moses. If you look at uh, the boards and the committees, and, and I'm not sure how often you have a chance to meet with different board members or you see other folks from other committees, but how do those, how are the makeup of those boards? Your very own board, your own your own city council. I mean, is it the proper representation of what you have for folks who are living in that community, or is it not there yet? Well, um, actually, the council itself uh, now is the most diverse it's been uh, ever in its entire history. So, uh, but but the issue that I have is not necessarily with uh, with the elected positions because elected positions are exactly what they are. You know, people need to start electing people who they feel are good representations or good representatives for them. But I'm talking about the appointed positions, the the higher positions, you know, the if you if you have a school system that's almost eighty percent of color as far as the students are concerned, shouldn't some of these appointed positions, these higher positions, reflect that diversity within the schools, you know, and not necessarily on the school board, which now is also the more diverse it's ever been before. But at the same time, I'm talking about the appointed positions, you know, the boards. You know, we should have, if you have a board that has five members, shouldn't at least two of those members be individuals of color in a city of a majority of color? Um, uh, if you have, a, uh, if you're hiring, you know, teachers in a school system that, you know, 70 plus percent of kids of color shouldn't a good you know, 20 to 30 percent of those teachers be teachers of color. Why is it that it's only 10 or even less in some instances? You know, that's the the struggle that we all continue to have in in our communities to try to bring that, you know, because, again, I, I can only elect those people that are running. So if the people who are running happen to get more votes than I do, then you know, tough. Hey, listen, I should organize my community better to get my people or my folks to vote for me. But if it doesn't happen, I can't really blame anyone other than, you know, blaming myself for not having that. So, but it's the appointed, if the appointed positions that I, I struggle to, uh, to see uh, the, the urgency in the eyes of, uh, of, of folks, uh, because, uh, Kevin, I mentioned this to you before. If I, let's say, if I'm holding a meeting in the community, and there's 20 individuals in that room, and there's 20 folks of color in that room, you know what comes into my mind right off the bat? Where are the white folks? That's what comes into my mind. But yet, I see meetings that I go to, and there's 20 white folks in those meetings. Not a single person says, "Hey, where are the black people?" You know. And that's the difference here. I walk in and I see nothing but black folks. The first thought in my mind is, where are the white folks? But yet I like to see my white friends saying, you know, where are the black people? And then I think is uh, where we are right now as a, as a society that we should look and say, 
you know, we need to, to somehow involve the entire community in this process so we can have a little more of uh, um, uh, a sense of, of community when we're dealing with things in our community. Keith, I believe you wanted you had uh, something you wanted to mention yeah. real quick. Just real quick, I, I was just mind blown here when he talked about the fact that the city had already had, had a case with the units group, and I was wondering, is that your fight with that units going to court and all that? Is that one of the reasons why you were so passionate in settling this other case when you got in as as that as mayor? Well, you know when I when I look at. Uh, I can speak from my own experience. When I first got out of the Harrington administration, I, too, applied. I didn't want to, uh, but I was told by quite a few people in the, in the, in the commu- in, within city government to apply for a parks position because I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I got a college degree. I had um, a pool operator license, in a sense, which was one of the requirements of the park commission. I mean, the park superintendent. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew that I was into, you know, all these sports in the community, opening up the new pool on the west side of the city, and all this other stuff. I was actually in that position when John Dorgan retired. You know, people were like, well, you got to apply for this position. You got to apply for this position. I didn't want to, but I applied for it anyways because people were pushing me to apply for it. I applied for it in coming out of the administration, <coughs> out of city administration. But guess what? I didn't even get a phone call for an interview. Mm. You know, Sp- someone who speaks, you know, a bunch of different languages and stuff. I wasn't even asked to sit down and have a conversation with anybody, you know? So when I hear the struggles that you folks went through with the DPW and all that other stuff, I mean, I didn't have to go too far to realize that we had a problem in this city. You know, we had a problem in this city, or we continue to have a problem in this city. And that's why when the lawsuit went through, the whole process that it went through, I felt that it was important for us to basically, you know what? Uh, The courts told us we knew that we had a problem in this community. We, folks of color, knew we had a problem. And then the court told us, you have a problem in this community. So I felt that it was important for us, you know, in city government to basically put that to rest and settle that lawsuit as as understanding that, you know what, I know that we have a problem in this community and this needs to settle. That's why I settled. We're gonna step aside just for a moment. Moses, you want, can, you want to hang on the line for a couple more minutes? Sure. All right. If I don't die for it. <laughs> okay. okay. We're going to step aside for a moment. Take a quick break. When we come back, more Monday Night Talk. Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. By the middle of the week, so much news has come your way, you need your own team to sort it out. Lucky for you, there's Jared Valenzuela and the JV team to talk about the things you've heard and catch you up on some things you might not know. I'm Jared Valenzuela. Join me and my guests as we have fun with current events and try to put things into perspective each week. Sponsored by Corey Welch of Boom Realty. Catch the JV team every Wednesday night at 6.15 here on 95.9 WATD. I'm Erin Woodbury at Ethan Allen Quincy. We've joined forces with local charity, Cancer Can't, to raise funds for a great cause. You'll be serenaded by the talented Rob Bellamy, indulge in light fare and refreshments, and of course, there will be raffles galore. And all proceeds go straight to Cancer Can't. 
Come down to 840 Willard Street, Quincy on January 18th from 5 to 8 p.m. to have a blast, get inspired, and lend your support to an amazing cause. We hope to see you there. Cheers. CBS News Radio is celebrating the life and legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on what would have been his 95th birthday. I'm Allison Keyes. We'll discuss everything from voting rights to reparations to what Dr. King would think about this divided nation heading into this presidential election year. Did you know there are scholars who think Dr. King's message is being devalued? It's pretty radical stuff. All this and much more on MLK, A Dream Derailed, a holiday special from CBS News Radio right here. Tonight at 9 on 95.9 WATD. Follow Monday Night Talk on Twitter. Start at 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And don't forget to add hashtag Monday Night Talk to your tweets. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. We are back. Final segment of Monday Night Talk. Going to be kind of a split focus for the, for the final segment. But as we wrap up our conversation about the civil rights movement, our, our understanding of it, and, and also realizing, I think, I've, I think we've all kind of realized, if we all didn't already know, that there still are problems. There are still problems as far as equality, diversity, fairness. I, I think, I think, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, that there more needs to be done, Newby. Yeah, more needs to be done. I'm just going to kind of put out a couple of things. I was, I was kind of doing a little research before we got here. Um, this systematic thing. Do I think that there is blatant, you know, you're black, you're you're you know Latino going to the back of the bus? No, that doesn't. That, but no, but there's still systemic there's systematic issues. Things going on. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, um, you know, realization of that is COVID, and that. Black people and black and brown people tend were two times more likely to die than a white person because the access of pre-existing conditions and healthcare were not readily available. Mm. Okay, this quick little stat here this is going to blow your mind. Roxbury, the life expectancy of someone in Roxbury, sixty-eight years old. Somerville, eighty. We're talking three miles here, three four miles. <laughs> And what's the biggest difference is access to things, mm-hmm. access to health care. Quick question. How many Whole Foods probably are in Roxbury as opposed mm-hmm. to fast food restaurants One. and liquor stores? One. You go to a suburban community. How many of liquor stores and fast food restaurants you have there? Talking about health care and the new civil rights movement, mm-hmm. amount of people mm-hmm. of color with diabetes mm-hmm. and those are pre-existing conditions to a possible COVID and dying. So these are these are systematic things that we go through. It, it took a pandemic for our kids to have one-to-one computers. A pandemic mm. for every student to have a computer in their hand. So there are some systematic racial issues that we're still fighting that we need to, uh, that, that this, this fight is not over yet. What you just said reminded me of Lawrence Fishburne in Boys in the Hood. Remember the scene? Mm-hmm. When he was trying to educate his son, Trey, Trey, about what it is, you look at our neighborhood and what is what is being done in, you know, with there being um, liquor stores and certain things. If you go to if you went to a white neighborhood, how it would how it would differ. 
it, that's what what he was saying. Just basically, just it kind of just flashed back to that scene in Bo- Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. where you know, Lawrence Fishburne is he wants the best for his son and wants him to kind of be paying attention to what's going on. Um, so, so I guess you know, not enough time to continue this conversation, other than to say, what do we need to do moving? For- what do we need to be doing moving forward? From today, moving forward to continue, you know, is it is it education? Is it educating our our brothers, our sisters, our children, their children? Keith, Kevin, can, can I ask one ahead. question? Yep. Just a question I want to think about. Yes. Why is healthier food more expensive? Just as long as to think about that. Why is it is healthier he- more expensive? And and who could and who could be who could suffer from that? I'm just going to leave that question out there. It is. You're 100 percent right. Anybody mm-hmm. goes to the store. It's it's expensive to to buy fruits and vegetables and things that are healthier than to go and get you know go to a fast food restaurant and buy a meal and know that it's something that's going to you know harm us long term. Yeah, life expectancy in a city <clears throat> like Boston as opposed to Somerville is 12 years. Well, I, I, I know right now I'm, I got chickens. I get my own eggs. We're growing our own spices. I know Kevin's doing the bees, bees. with the honey, which is mm-hmm. a big, that's a big deal. Yeah. People look it up. Um, one of the things that you were just you were just talking about, I think people need to pay attention and be informed. Um, one of the ways that you're, the systematic thing that you're talking about that they're doing race-wise mm-hmm. is they're developing and putting places where they can control voting in a sneaky way and that's by as we see in Boston where they just loaded up everybody down seaport and they've now just changed the vote the voting aspect of that area if there's if there's a way to cheat someone's going to figure out a way mm-hmm. how to do it definitely real estate's a nice way to do it Moses are you still with us no I'm still here I'm all right still here. Uh, so I want to get your take on it I mean what, what do we do what do we need to do moving forward from today moving forward and this isn't something that's going to be a sprint. This is going to be something that, you know, again, is going to, you know, we need to start, you know, planting the seed for our, our, our next generation, you know, next generation and the generation that follows. What do we need to do? Well, the, the thing that, that cracks me up in the sense, I mean, you look at the, what's going on in the political arena as far as the national uh, politics is concerned, where, you know, the the folks within the, the Republican Party, in a way, you know, and they want to wipe out every single thing that has to do with the history of this country when it comes to individuals of color. When you look at it, um, I have some friends that are, you know, German or from Germany, and in Germany, they teach the kids the horror of what took place in World War One, World War Two, and the Nazis, and all these other things, without taking anything away from the country itself. But in in America, for some odd reason, especially those on the Republican side, they feel that you know, talking about slavery, or talking about the civil rights, or talking about affirmative action, or any other these other things that have to do with some of the wrongs that this country has done, it's like lessening you know, what America is all about, which is, which is ludicrous in a way, you know, uh, 
people think that talking about diversity and the need for diversifying things, diversity is not always, you know, black and white or, you know, purple and blue or whatever. It's about diverse, diversifying things, you know, make it so that, you know, instead of purple, it could be yellow. Instead of women, it could be men. Instead of men, it could be women. Instead of older, it could be young. That's what diversity is all about. And we just don't need to wipe it all out because some people on the other side feel um, the fear of you know, having these issues would lessen this country, which to me, it, it would never lessen this country. If anything, it makes it even better because you'd say, look how far we have traveled, you know, to bring some of those changes into the, the into today's America in the sense that, you know, by putting it back in the back burner, almost like we're petrified of, uh, uh, of doing that. And I, um, uh, I mean, I, I don't mean to get involved in politics, but you know, you, sometimes you can't take a, a politics out of a politician. Mm. But when you look at what goes on, for instance, uh, um, uh, DeSantis that's running for for president cracks me up. Where he talks about how he's all for freedom, you know, freedom, freedom. We can't tell the government, uh, we can't let the government tell us we need to, you know, to to get COVID vaccines or COVID injections because we have to have freedom. We can't. They can't tell us to shut things down because we, we, you know, we we're free. We're free. We're free. But yet at the same time, he's basically taking books out of the library because he doesn't want you to know or have the freedom to choose which books that you want to teach your children or have your children read or you know or or having people having a choice of what to learn or not to learn so that that's that you don't have freedom to do but yet on the other side he he proclaims that you know you have the ability to choose when you can go against the government when you can go against uh you know science and technology and all that other stuff which to me sounds like the biggest hypocrisy that you can kind of deal with because on one hand they're saying you're free to choose but on the other hand yeah but you know what i'm going to tell you what books to read what books not to read you know where where you know then one actually has to say and, and, and look and say well i guess it's you, you you have freedom so as long as i'm choosing what you want me to choose i have the freedom you know and that's the the, the thing that kind of saddens me a little bit about you know the, the the today's politics in this country where in order for us to make our point in order for us to sound like we have progressed we have to destroy what the work that actually has been done in the past to get us to this point. It, it just seems it just seems to me, Moses, like that it's it, there's always throughout history, there's always somebody who wants to try to control the narrative. Always somebody who yeah. wants to control the narrative. And it you know, in, in the end, what comes around goes yeah, around. He sounds, he sounds like an idiot when this when when he says, I am for freedom yeah. but yet you're taking books out of libraries because you don't want children to learn certain things that we all learned in the past but we know it to be true one thing that one thing that the president um former president does former president donald trump and really the the um the gop party is that they do it actually a brilliant job at pitting people against each other making you feel like someone's taking something from someone else and we cannot fall for that you know, like Moses said in the document, he was on the immigration document, IMU, and he said something in the document, he said, you know, it was, it was, he said 72% of the, of the world is still white. 
So if, if, if you're losing, who's winning? <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, I think we have to really, really pay attention to how we, we're not going to be manipulated. Yeah, this, well, this country, this country is still 70 plus percent Caucasian. And yet, for some odd reason, they make it sound like it's, you know, 49 and a half versus 50.5. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, what are you so afraid of, people? You know, you have you have the domain, you have the control, you control everything. We we are this ten percent black, you know, maybe another ten percent uh, Hispanic, another everybody else is here and there. You are still seventy plus. This country is almost seventy four percent white. What? Why? What are you afraid of? You know, what are you afraid of? You know, uh, let me read whatever books I want to read. You know, Ron DeSantis, please relax and, and, and don't, do not worry about my reading or not reading, because you know what? You're not giving me freedom if you're telling me I can only read book A, B, and D, C, and not B, or whatever, you know, because that's not freedom. But you can only... Supp- you you know, can o- do, not, do not be afraid. You can only suppress a person, you can only suppress a people so long before they will seek out what the knowledge and the information that they want to find out. Yeah, now the boogeyman is the immigrants. You know, the immigrants coming, the border, open borders, open border. I'll bet you 99% of the people north of the uh, the, Borden, the Borden states, I'm talking about the Texas, the New, the New Mexico, the Arizona, the California, have never seen the border. And yet you hear people talking about open borders, <laughs> open borders. I traveled through those borders not too long ago. There was nothing open about them. It took me about an hour or so to get through the border. You know, so I don't know when I hear people talking about open borders, that it's just wide open borders, open borders, open borders, because I know, you know, that is that, you know, it's like Nubi was saying, you know, they know what buttons to push. And you've got people in this country who are just sitting there listening to all this stuff and not actually doing the research. Do your research and find out how wide open these borders are, you know? And and, and yet that's the only thing we're going to talk about is the fact that, uh, you know, a handful of immigrants are crossing the border illegally. Really, people? That's all we have? That's all we're going to sit here and worry about? With all these kids dying all over the streets? With all the, you know, uh, we just lost another uh, young man in the city of Boston the other day to to gunfire. And that doesn't concern anybody? You know, we're just concerned about these illegals coming across. You know, somebody actually in the council not too long ago said the reason why we have all these homeless people in the city of Brockton is because of the open border policies of the Biden administration. And I actually said to the person, I go, are you kidding me? You're telling me the people are, 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 you know, putting up with all the elements on on that border, on the desert, and all 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 the trouble that they go through to come and become homeless in the streets of Brockton? They can't come up with anything else. That's, that's it. You know, p- people are paying, you know, sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars a plane ticket to come from Cape Verde or some of these other places so that they can become so that they can become homeless in the streets of Boston. I mean, really? That makes sense. Really? No. You know, but that's the that's the, the the sound bites that you hear on television all the time, and that's all people talk about. It, it's gotten into people's minds that you know every problem that we face in America today is because of the open borders. 
you know, which is nothing further from ridiculous in the sense that you can think of. You Some, know? Someone should do a documentary about that. <laughs> we should. And we should. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, we, we should. I mean, honestly, honestly, it was said in the council. Oh, you know, we were discussing homelessness, and people said, uh, a couple councilors said, oh, it's because of the open border policy. You know, really? People are coming from Central and South America to come and become homeless in the streets of Rock. Council President. Hey, hey. <laughs> I am I am you. <laughs> I am you. Shocked. You know. Shocked. You know, because again, that's the that's what you hear. I mean you turn on the, the national news, that's all you hear about these open borders and all how the the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the immigrants, the illegal immigrants or the immigrants, they're, 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 that's the new boogeyman, you know, that are coming through. And uh and when you when you look at the vast majority of the people that we have who are homeless in the streets of Brockton are not from Brockton. The vast majority of the people who are homeless in the streets of Brockton do not resemble the residents of Brockton. You know, not to not to not to label it one way or the other. But yet you've got people thinking that the border has something to do with it. Well you well, you actually learned that when I mean you and I had the conversation when you were during your term as mayor where, you know, this isn't a Brockton issue. Uh, other na- neighboring communities are dealing with this, and it's Absolutely. a it's a it's something that has to be dealt with uh, on a regional basis, and not just the you know the city that's in the county. So, Kevin, you asked the fire department that deals with the, with the homeless uh, populations on a daily basis. They tell you that over seventy percent of the people that they encounter in the streets of Brockton are not from, from Brockton. Brockton. Right? They're coming from the Boston area, from the Duxburys of the world, the Eastons, and some of these affluent communities. That because those communities don't do much in terms of dealing with poverty dealing with people who are struggling, those individuals that actually come looking for services, uh, the individuals who are involved in drugs, they come to Brockton to, to, for services, and they end up staying in the streets of Brockton. That's what we face on a daily basis, but yet, instead of stating the, the, the facts and the truth, you know, we're sitting here making stuff up that, oh, by the way, mm. it's because of the of the open border policies that uh, we have homelessness involved. Well, we, we this is definitely a conversation that we'll have to have uh, another day. Um, what no, we're going to do? Yeah. Well, you and I are going to have a conversation probably in the next week or two uh, to talk about the latest the latest that's going on on the city council. Um, we're going to right now switch our conversation for the last five minutes to talk about Newbie's new uh, new uh, uh, documentary that he's uh, on, in the works on. Well, the documentary actually relates to everything we're talking about now. It is. I, I think education is the new civil rights movement. So we're going to do a documentary. Um, it's going to come out in 2025, the fall. Um, it's going to be called Report Card, Danger of Feeling. Ooh. And, um, you know, we have a lot of people in, um, you know, in Broughton who are going to be part of it already, which I'm excited. Uh, Dr. Zach, one of our executive producers, is going to be on the documentary. Um, Sharon Walder, um, Alan Bercy. Um, who I teach with over in Lynn, um, Secretary of Education uh, Patrick Tutwiler, um is going to be the documentary as well. And we're looking through, um, you know, we're looking to get student stories. Uh, so the point of the documentary is this: How do inner city students? Uh, we're trying to find a solution for how inner city students work to their fullest potential. That's the point of the documentary. What are solutions to help inner city students work to their fullest potential? How we're going to get there? Um, you know, we're going to focus on different NEC schools throughout the whole 
country. Obviously, we're going to focus here on Brockton in the lo- in the local area, but um, we're, go- we're traveling to Florida, like Moses is talking about. They're taking things away from Florida. We're going to travel over there. We're actually going to go there on Saturday to figure out what the hell is going down over there and, um, and, and really get a natural perspective and what are some local solutions or what are we doing here locally um, to help our students succeed and reach their fullest potential. Anything to do in regards to MCAS testing, if, that is, if that's a hurdle that students also have to face these days and, and educators have to face? Yeah, we're going to talk about how politics, um, you know, uh, interfere with, with uh, education and, 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 and how... Uh, Intervene. And how testing... Listen, I think we should have some type of testing, some type of evaluation for our kids. These kids who... who you know, or go passing or not you knowing how to read. That is important. But, you know, what is the way we assess our kids? And then we're also going to touch upon, you know, some real controversial parts such as unions and, and you know, are, are, are unions allowing um, schools to succeed at the level they should be succeed, uh, succeeding at? Are you going to get into the mislabeling of IEP students? Yes, we actually, um, we're, we're going to have uh, Boston City President. Could you, what, what's the acronym? Um, IEP is those who um, I forget the acronym. It's for those Someone who de- really quick. De- developmental issues. Um, the person who speaks education process. Individual I've, educational plan. I think. Thank yes. you. There you go. What, what, Individual. What, what, so what was that again? Uh, Moses, say it again. Individual educational plan. Plan. Thank you. Process. Right. My bad. But like every document, you're uh, going to be very uncomfortable. You're going to be very uncomfortable with whether whatever political. Uh, side you have, we're going to really, you know, we we always go to that end and go to that but, edge. But isn't that important? Isn't that important? It is important. Shouldn't you be uncomfortable before you feel somewhat comfortable? Comedians do it all the time. They make you feel uncomfortable and laugh at the same time. A lot of your greatest, George Collin, a lot of your great comedians did that. But I do want to give a shout out to Dr. Zach, who's been a big part of kind of, you know, helping kind of format where the document should be going. Um, as you know, yeah, but you know, you know, movie. One of the things that I think you definitely ought to look into mm-hmm. is the the inequities that exist between public and private schools. Yes, because absolutely. Yep. When you look when you look at the poor kids in the public school, where they have to learn in school in order to compete at the level in college, and yet they have to be able to pass a standardized test that you know kids in the uh, private schools do not have to take. So if we truly, truly care about overall education, and this is one of the things that I would tell the uh, educational secretary, is to basically say, well, you know what, the the the, the inequalities are, exist at your level because, you know what, you're letting a kid who comes from a private school, you know, basically learn how to compete in college, whereas a kid from the from the the public system has to be able to learn how to compete in college, but at the same time, if he or she does not pass the MCAS to move on, they they do not move on. Right. You know, so how is that a fair system? You know, I'm for testing so as long as everybody is tested, right? Or no one's tested, but you cannot continue to have this system where our public school teachers are teaching kids to pass a test. That's why sometimes there are kids who fall through the crack and they're not able to read and write because you know what? They're not very good test takers and they're not be- they're only being taught to pass a test because the livelihoods of the teacher or the school system depends on whether or not those kids pass those tests. You know, to get to my vocational you know? license, I had to take a hands-on test, which I think is great. 
you know, to get my vocation license, radio and TV production. So, uh, but I think uh, it should be across the board. It, I mean, it's, the it's Department of Education, the, part, the Department of Education, that basically okay's uh, diplomas, high school diplomas to the, the to people in the in in the Commonwealth. They should be able to say either we all take a test or no one takes a test. Right. But you cannot continue to have private school students basically do A's and B's until they graduate, and then public school students have to do A's and B's plus passing an MCAS, because I could be a straight-A student and not pass my MCAS, and I don't go on to college. Yeah, it's crazy. Whereas you could be, you could be a C student, and you're okay to go into college, and then do well in college, because you're not required to pass the standardized test in order, in, in order for you to graduate. Right. How can that be a fair system? Uh, that's, it's, and unfortunately, but, unfortunately, I, keep, I think kids of color are the ones who get stuck mostly in the public school system well, and actually have to go through that stuff. Moses, I got I to gotta cut you off because that's all the time we got. But thank you so much yep. for joining us, Keith, newbie. <laughs> all the time we have until next week. Happy 6.15. New Year, guys. Have a good one.